The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Nice to have you with me here on The Doctor Is In. You have always been a voice of reason through all of this. Appreciate your time, what you're doing for America. I give you advice. And doesn't work at all. You are definitely not inept by any means. I like to hear women say that about me. Whatever advice you're going to send my way, I am 100% taking it. I can't tell you what to do. I will not tell you what to do. Okay. Well, thanks. That wasn't the answer I wanted. Are you kidding me? Great stuff, Dr. Ray. I'm glad I called. I've scheduled my day around listening to your radio show. <laughs> you don't have to laugh so hard. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. I have my stress. I'll give you an example. I have to time getting in here relatively closely because I just finished drinking my Coke before the show even started. I got here too early. Oh, yeah, close to... Five minutes till. There it is. It's empty. Ice cubes. Nevertheless, going to do the program anyway. Program is, as the man said, the doctor is in. You can call, be on the program, 877-573-7825. That's the number to call. If you would have a question about your own circumstances, your own life, your own existence, question about somebody else's we do a lot of that you know or maybe a generic question about the faith about family about psychology about development about a particular diagnosis you don't understand i'm a psychologist i was at the office this morning doing the professional stuff of psychology but the stuff here on the radio we can just educate give a few ideas a few thoughts Something along those lines. No diagnoses here, and uh, no certainly stepping into another therapist's turf. That's not allowed. But we can talk, come up with some ideas and some notions, maybe something you haven't thought of, and more often than not, something I haven't thought of, because you help me. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call to get onto the program. I have discovered another reason why it's a good thing that not everybody has a smartphone. Somebody's got a honk when the light turns green. Notice that? Most of the folks over 70 don't have smartphones. they got flip phones. Well, they aren't interested necessarily so much about jumping on the Internet. My mom was 80 when she got her first phone. Within about a month, that thing went with her everywhere. This is a woman who grew up I think, I don't know if they had a television. Well, they didn't have television, but they they didn't have telephones. I'm not sure when my mom was growing up. I know they had party lines. That was the, the most they had. And even when I was growing up, we had a party line. Now I have call waiting. I have to wait till my daughter gets off the phone before I can use it. Anyway, the number to get on to the program, I'd love to hear from you. 877-57-EQUAL. That is the number. Now, people bring up the matter of Dr. Ray. You know, you seem to you seem to have a lot of ideas that are are more traditional in the, the in in parenting sense. 
stuff that was more common in generations past, as opposed to what one might consider progressive, enlightened kind of parenting. So, Dr. Ray, you know, you got uh, you got these experts on this side of the progressive, enlightened parenting, gentle parenting, and you got parents over here who believe that the, a more common sense, strong, perhaps uh, disciplined, confident stance is the better way. So how is a parent to know? Well, this one just came across my desk from a highly respected journal. First things, I shall quote, Adolescents with very conservative parents are 16 to 17 percentage points more likely to be in good or excellent mental health compared to their peers with very liberal parents. Now, again, I don't have the study in front of me, so what is very conservative? Is it self-report? How did they measure it? And again, what is very liberal and 16 to 70 percentage points to be in better mental health compared to their peers? How did they measure that? But anyway, the researcher, a guy named Jonathan Rothwell, concludes this in a new study. This is a shocker. This, this will just knock you off your feet. Parenting is the key to adolescent mental health. Get out. Oh, come on. Sponsored by the Institute for Family Studies and Gallup. The article goes on. The crucial factor contributing to good mental health is clear discipline combined with parental love. That's right. Love that kid with all your might. But when it comes time to discipline, be confident about it. Children need a warm, authoritarian... See, now, that word right there, authoritarian. See, that's the bad word. Authoritative was the one that you'll see mostly in the articles. When they say authoritarian, that... That kind of smells a little dictatorial, doesn't it? Nevertheless, children need a warm, authoritarian family structure. The problem among progressive parents is not affection. Liberal parents manifest parental love at only slightly lower levels than conservative parents. This is how they measured that. The survey said, among other things, how do you respond to I hug or kiss my child every day? However, and here's the kicker, liberal parents, and again, getting back to what do they mean by liberal, probably checking off a a number of statements that would define them in the, the, ironically, in the traditional sense of liberal. Liberal parents are significantly less likely to impose discipline than our parents who identify as conservative This assessment is based on responses to statements such as, quote, I find it difficult to discipline my child. And, quote, my child often gets their way when we have a conflict. Put simply, the liberal idea of an affectionate, permissive family culture is bad for children, whereas the old-fashioned view of authority is 
good. Well, I mean, the people who came before us had to know something, didn't they? One of my biggest frustrations is when we look back on previous generations and say they weren't as enlightened as we are. We're so much more enlightened. We just have so much a better way than they did. They were kind of semi-primitive, you know, stumbling their way along through parenthood. That's so true. I mean, I really respect a lot of the wisdom of people who have done this for a long time. I want to quote a little bit more from the article here in First Things. In the 20th century, the rise of the permissive family culture correlated with anxieties about, quote, adolescent rebellion, the purported cause of troubled relationships between parents and teenage kids. Wonder what they're saying is this idea of natural adolescent rebellion. You know, I, I get to the point where I'm 14 years old, and then you can just expect me to be rebellious and challenging and defiant and surly. You can just expect that because that's what teenagers are, you know. What they're saying is... Much of that is due to the shift in parenting toward the permissive, toward the reluctance to establish clear, defined limits and to enforce them. This is is big. Rothwell, that's the guy who did the study, notes that the survey data show that conservative parents enjoy the strongest relationships with their adolescent children why liberals suffer the worst. Isn't that fascinating? Because I work with a lot of professionals that come into my office. Very loving people. And they can't understand why this parenting thing is, is nowhere near as enjoyable as they thought it was going to be. And, by and large, they have a lot of ideas about child rearing that one would consider more permissive a reluctance to establish limits to enforce them clearly confidently rather let's all just get along let's reason together let's uh, do things that uh, allow you a lot more freedom of expression and they're finding out that this is just not fun what is going on here and typically and i have to do a lot of work on this Typically, they think that something's wrong with the child. Why is this child like this? Now, this guy is concluding, for example, he's dealing with adolescents, and he's saying a lot of this adolescent rebellion is because of the parenting style, and that is ever so true. My book that just came out a month ago, a re-release of an earlier book, updated, called Standing Strong, Good discipline makes great teens. And I make that point throughout the whole book. You want to enjoy your kids? Then you got to have the confidence to stand strong against the culture that is no longer on your side and against a lot of people who look at you like, you know, you're going to ruin your kids because you have these high standards and conservative values. By the way, if you do want the book, just got to tell you, it is uh, discounted and signed copies at my website. Yeah, a little personal Obvious sleazy plug, drray.com, D-R-R-A-Y.com. I'm going to tape a little thing for uh, EWTN News Nightly uh, this afternoon when I get home. Now i got to comb my hair and i got to put a shirt and tie on. I can wear shorts, though. 
So, interesting, fascinating article. I'm going to cut this thing out because it just more or less confirms that the people who went before us and those who said, you know, we have some ideas here on raising children that might be successful. Oh, good stuff. 877-573-7825-877-57 equal. Equal. That's the number to call to get onto the program. Talk to Eric Dumont, my call screamer. And if the phones get a little busy, then Andrew Kruchek, my producer man, steps in for backup. I'm Dr. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I want you to have such confidence in the Lord that you'll find such hope and see the beauty of the Lord, the majesty of God. What did our Lord say, huh? If your sins are as scarlet, oh, what? What's going to happen? They shall be made white as snow. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Right now, as you know, America, Catholic Church, really the Western world, is being shaken. Well, let me read this passage. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. We'll go to 29. The writer to the Hebrews says... His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, I will once more shake not only the earth, but heaven. And that phrase, once more, points to the removal of shaken created things so that what is unshaken may remain. We realize that nothing is fixed. Everything seems to be in flux. And that's the, why God's people need to be immersed in Scripture because there we come across the unchangeable and the unshakable God. Cresta in the Afternoon with Al Cresta for Eastern on EWTN Radio. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. You know, it was bad enough when I couldn't get my kids' names straight. You always call. You go, you go through two or three kids before you get to the right one, calling them. Well, now I say Alexa when I mean Siri. I'm living in a, a time when I'm getting my robot servants mixed up. <clears throat> it's happening. Thanks for joining me here. Uh, Bob is uh, <clears throat> Bob. Apparently, is pretty full of himself because uh, you can't just simply say Bob. He says Bob. Okay. Oh, that's Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Sorry about that, Bob. Hey, how are you, Bob? Well, I am okay. I don't know about being full of myself, though, but I'm okay. Yes, sir. Although I think my my daughter is uh, practicing to become a politician. Um, (laughs) I wanted to run something by and get your advice. My daughter is being, she's eight, third grade, being defiant manipulative uh we'll say hey go do this she'll just say no 
and or she'll ask for something. We'll say, sure, we'll do this, but I need to do this activity first. And she will turn it on us and say, well, you're not going to do that for me, or you're not doing it, or you said you want to do it. And I'm trying to figure out how to handle this in, in terms of that we've we've uh, pushed through and saying, well, if you sit here, we'll do it. If you're not going to sit here, you're right, we won't do it. And we'll just carry on, and she gets all upset and flustered and breaks down, tears, all that wonderful stuff. Hmm. Well, you you think, Bob, that this is her natural temperament? You think this is just who she is, the way she is? No, I would say this is a maybe a progressive change in terms of her behavior. Because she, about three to six months ago, she would, you know, she would do something. She'd be a little bit more patient. She would be more on top of it. And it's, and more happy. And now it's more of what I just, just, just described. Sorry. So this is kind of the first time you're seeing this. Off and on, the last three to six months. Okay. Uh, you say she's eight? You say she's eight years old? Eight, yes. Has she ever been eight years old before? No, but I have, I have had other kids that have been eight before. <laughs> well, she, does she go to school or is she homeschooled? Uh, goes to school. Okay. And I'm assuming that your the teacher has called you and said, I don't know what's going on with her. She's becoming more defiant and manipulative and uncooperative. No, completely. No. Perfect with, <gasps> no. That's, that's a shocker. I'm stunned. So if that's the case, if indeed she's a sweetheart for the folks at school, but she pushes on you guys, how do you explain that? I'm looking at your great wisdom to help me understand. <laughs> well, there's your first mistake. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I can give you some okay wisdom. <laughs> What's happening? Great Ohio wisdom. Oh boy. What's happening here? And, and I don't know your little girl, and so obviously I'm, I'm going to speculate and you decide whether it makes sense. Not unusual for kids to hit certain places where they push, and they push harder than they pushed before. So if you ask her to do something, and she refuses, what do you do? We take things away, losing privileges. Okay. My guess would be that she refuses a lot, right? Three, four, five, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen times a day? Not always. Not mm-hmm. always. Because when parents say this, they'll say, we take things away. My experience has been... It's nowhere near as consistent a response as they need to have when a child is defiant. For example, you tell your little girl, what's her name, Bob? Sarah. Oh, beautiful little name. Comes from the Greek, Saroi, which means she who challenges parents. Yeah, look it, look it up. It does, it does say that. So you tell little Sarah, you know, honey, we've got, we've got a new rule. Mom, Mom and I are going to ask you to do something. 
And if you give us any resistance, you're going straight to the corner. It's that simple. You're going straight to the corner. Now, Bob, would you tell me that if you did something that simple, she would she would resist and refuse to go to the corner? She would probably push it. Okay. So what that tells me is that she is developing a perception of you. And the perception is you don't mean it. The perception is I can argue with you. I can resist you. I can come out of the corner. I can I can do these things because I'm clearly seeing you folks are buffaloed. It's not bad. It's just a standard dynamic. It happens all the time. So if you want little Sarah to realize that mommy and daddy are not going to fight with her, we're not going to argue, we're not going to get into a, a bicker brawl, then we're going to make a request. And you cooperate, great. You don't, here's what we're going to do. Every time, I guarantee you, Bob, you do this, and a month from now you'll call me and say, Dr. Ray, it's a miracle. She's back to her old sweet self. But now she's acting up at school. No, I wouldn't say that. When my office, very much I see this in my office all the time. Parents will come in and say, my kid is defiant, my kid is resistant, my kid is manipulative, my kid is arguing with me. 90 plus percent of the time with an eight-year-old, it is the parent. Not that you're a bad parent. It's just that you're not doing what you need to do to get it through to your little girl that she's not permitted to do this. And and most of the times parents will say to me, we've done that, Dr. Ray. We take privileges away. We've done that. And she still continues to do it. And I guarantee you, Bob, if you and I had time to talk for an hour, it would become very clear that, yes, you are doing that, but you're doing it so kind of erratically that your daughter is developing a perception, which is much of the time I can make this into an argument. So that's the good news. Tell her, little Sarah, now you can make her write sentences if you want. You can make her go sit on her bed. You can make her stand in the corner. You can make her put her head down at the dining room table. Whatever you choose, you say, Sarah, you know we're going to argue with you anymore, honey. We're going to make a request, and here's what we're going to do about it. Say, for example, you're walking out the door, and you ask her to put her coat on, and she refuses. Okay, honey, you don't have to, but I'll tell you what, when we get to grandma's, you're not getting to play with your cousins, and you're not getting any dessert. There you go. Boom. You've said it. I asked you. I made a simple request to you, sweetheart, and you just decided you didn't want to cooperate. Okay, I'm not going to get mad. Here's what I'm going to do. And when one little Sarah realizes that daddy or mommy are not going to fight with her, they mean what they say, peace shall return to your home. Try it, my friend. Do you have my book, Discipline That Lasts a Lifetime? I do not. Okay. It is a hundred of the most common discipline questions I get asked. And I tell you, I deal with all this in the book. So if if you're willing, it's on the website, drray.com. It's signed. It's discounted, as are all the books there. And uh, I think it would answer a lot of the questions, much more so than than we could in this in this few brief minutes we've had together here. All righty, sir. Will you, will you first say address it to me? I'm yeah, kidding. sure I will. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, Dr. Ray. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you, Bob. Bye now. Yeah, you know, the, the the interesting thing is, and I've, I've wrestled with this a lot, very commonly good people like Bob. And he's a good daddy. I'm sure he's a good daddy. And he's a very loving daddy. But very commonly they will say, I'm, I'm really having trouble with my kid. Now, it is one thing for kids to misbehave. They all do. That's, that's the norm. That's a lot. However, when 
when we say this is this is getting to be a struggle. There's a lot of arguing. There's a lot of manipulation. There's fits. There's meltdowns. All kinds of this stuff. Most of the time, most of the time, especially with good parents. No, not parents that are nasty and abusive and mean spirited. Good parents. Parents who listen to Catholic radio. Most of the time, the parents are just simply underestimating what they now need to do. That's pretty straightforward. And if they do it, it's it is like a miracle. They just all of a sudden it's they're, they're living with a different kid. Keep in mind, the same little girl is not doing any of this for the teacher who doesn't have a fraction of the parent's authority. Why does marriage require complete fidelity between spouses? The Catholic Catechism states that the intimate union of marriage is a mutual self-giving of two persons ordered to the welfare of their children, which requires that there be an unbreakable union between them. The deepest reason is found in the fidelity of Christ to his church. Through the sacrament of matrimony, the spouses are able to represent that fidelity and witness to it. For these reasons, the spouses can be nothing but completely faithful to one another. Marriage is such a deep, personal union of giving oneself to the other that it cannot, the Catechism asserts, be an arrangement until further notice. As difficult as it may seem to retain this indissolubility for a lifetime, it is made possible by God's irrevocable love in which the couple shares and which will support them through their marital journey. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Father Benedict Rochelle. I must tell you that from what I observe from very young people, all of these blasphemers, all of these mockers are in for a tough time. Because the devil bites his own tail. And I find among young people a growing reverence and longing for God. I find a decline in the cynicism and skepticism around. Because it had to destroy itself. No one can live on being an enemy of God. It's too crazy. It's too absurd. It's too dark. It's too bleak. God is beautiful. God is holy. Why in the world mock God? The people you know and trust are on EWTN. You know the interesting thing, too, about uh, dealing with defiant eight-year-olds? Truly, among the presenting problems that people come into the office with, that is really one of the easiest ones. It is one of the most straightforward, very easy, especially when you've got a good parent. A very loving, cooperative parent, that is among the easiest stuff to deal with. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons back when I started at the Mental Health Center in Lisbon, Ohio, when I was 20, 25, 25, yeah, I just, I just gotten the degree, and I decided I wanted to work with parents. And one of my motives was that a cooperative parent with a behavior well, I don't want to say behavior problem, child. That's unfair. With a kid who's given him some behavior troubles, 
is among the most straightforward and successful things you can see in therapy. Very true. Adults are, are much tougher, much tougher to work with. Eric's calling. <clears throat> Eric from Boise. I pronounce that right. It's too easy to say Boise, but Boise, because I'm cosmopolitan. Eric has an ID. Oh, no, that's Idaho. All right. Hi, Eric. How are you? Dr. Ray, if I complained, it would be a lie. Oh, I like it. Very good, sir. Yeah. As I Father I'm, Larry, the I'm the originator of that. If you ever hear it, I'm pretty sure I'm original. Well, I like it very much. I like yeah. it a lot. So, what you got here, Eric? So, I'm, I've am i been thinking about this, and I think I know what the answer is, but I want to ask your opinion, obviously. Um, so, I just, I, I, I have a uh, questioning mind, and I don't know why things, I want to why, I want to know why things exist. And so, when I looked into it, uh, homosexuality in males, it tends to be, they were abused by, when they were little, not necessarily, be, not necessarily with an ephebophilia, like before their puberty, but actually post-pubescent. And that's like, I found the numbers around 98%, which is disgusting, but that, it's a, that makes sense because it's like a cycle. So this boy, this man, an adult abuses a child and then that child grows up and does the same thing. Let me, I said, 98% was the number I found. Yeah, let me um, jump in. Where'd you find that number? Oh, you're asking me like when I said, when I, I looked up the numbers for abortion and I found the lowest number for abortion, this was back in 12, it said it was in 7 to 8 billion lives. And that's just from surgical. That's not counting... Um, Saving wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said what? seven to eight I'm billion with with a B. Sorry, is, that, again. is that what you meant? Seven to eight billion? Yeah. And that's that's from nine that's by the way, that's two there's two qualifiers there. That's from um two thousand twelve and that's not from aborty efficient. Aborty efficient's thought to be are you are you sitting down, Doctor A? Doctor Grundy? I am. It's thought to be ten to twenty times higher than that. Okay, wait a minute. Once you, count, once you partake in the board of official Let me let me see, Eric. Let me see if I can uh, kind of straighten this up. I think you meant to say worldwide seven to eight million abortions. Is that what you meant to say in 2012? Yeah. Okay, because you said billion. All right, that's that's more than the population of the world. Then you said the abortifacient, which maybe much more than that as, as probably very true all right although in the u.s right now the numbers are about 50 percent so the 98 percent now i've never heard anything that high with either prepubescent or adolescent abuse although it's a very very common contributing factor that is true so your question here is if this is a common contributing factor in males, how do you how do you account for this with same sex attraction in females? Right? Yeah, and I think I kind of thought about it, and I think I know the answer, and it's really disgusting. Well, I know and what I you're going to say. Let, let's let's just jump in. You, you, it's yeah. your show. <laughs> yeah, there's there's kids who are possibly listening here, so let's we'll leave it at that. I know what you're going to say. We'll draw a parallel. Yeah. 
several okay. things. Uh, the right now the the extraordinary rise in same sex attraction far far beyond far beyond a traditional statistics. Traditional statistics yeah. have been one to three percent. Right. Right now, in the under I forget what group it is under twenty four. Twenty percent in a recent survey called themselves non-traditional gender <laughs> identification. Yeah. Okay. Now, one, you have to ask a question. Anything that explodes like that, you you look for ancillary causes, something else at at play here. Now, unless you're forced to say that the amount of abuse done to these males has jumped by a factor of five, six, and seven, uh, you got to look for other other conditions, other other factors. So there's there's a lot of other factors that enter into same-sex attraction, and it varies from individual to individual. The women generally tend to have, quote-unquote, longer relationships, more one-to-one. Guys are quite, quite, quite promiscuous. In same-sex attraction relationships, is you know, horrifically so. Women tend to be much more durable in the relationships, even though even though those also tend to sometimes be very fragile. That said, the surveys I'm familiar with regarding same-sex attraction in women is that it is based upon uh, hostility toward men. Yeah. Horrible experiences with men, perhaps abusive experiences with men, and um, a a feeling, a more of a feeling component, an emotional attachment yeah. than the physical one among men. Is does that dovetail with what you've read? Um, I wouldn't say read, but that makes logical sense. Like you just thinking about it, it makes sense. Now, same sex among women is less in the survey than men. Yeah. Or at least yeah. It has traditionally been less. I, I would. Yeah. I'm not familiar with any of the more recent surveys. Although among the young people, and it has exploded among the young people, and one really needs to look at what contributing factors in the last 10, 15 years, not the least can of I, which is social media. Go ahead. Can I a quick question? It doesn't have any because men are so and so. The father is so important in the family. Is that because the father is? Uh, you said you don't. Uh, hopefully, I don't. I don't know if I can say this. Um, is it because the father is hurting her his daughter? I don't know that much about that. That could be a factor that these uh, these young ladies have have not seen what is a protective strong male. That's possible. I I have to plead ignorance on the more recent surveys as to why there's been such an upsurge in same-sex attraction, of both both among uh, boys and girls, generally among the younger. Uh, I saw a fascinating survey that, oh, well, I'm running out of time. Very quick, Eric, that the older people haven't really changed from older surveys, but the younger people have exploded from older surveys. Thanks for some thought-provoking stuff, Eric. Appreciate it. 877-57-EQUAL. Want to talk to you. Please join me, Dr. Ray.
Welcome to Spirit of Stewardship. Jeremy Belsky is your host for real-life stories, encouragement, and ideas to enhance your own gifts of work, wealth, and wisdom in response to God's blessings for you. I'm Jeremy Belsky, and today's topic is Stewardship of the Environment, God's Creation of Nature. When you hear the message, Be a Wise Steward of Your Resources, do you ever consider the role you play in your community environment? It's natural to think of time, talent, and treasure when stewardship is mentioned, but our faith teaches us that all is gift from God. Thus, respect for nature and doing our part to ensure a safe and clean environment is important. Here are just three areas we can pay more attention. A lot of action has been taken in recent years by nonprofits geared towards a cleaner environment. The first area of focus is to eliminate litter. Consider how your actions to pick up after yourself are pleasing to God Be proud to do your part to keep your community and neighborhood clean. Secondly, look at ways to recycle and make the most out of your purchases. Does it matter to you that so much plastic consumes our landfills? Have you given thought as to how you can make a particular purchase last longer? Third, in a country filled with abundance, what's being done to ensure our nature and environment for the next generation? This is more than eating bread crust and cleaning off your plate. The root lies in not wasting what we've been given. There's a great deal of time and effort that goes into caring for our place of residence in addition to our possessions. Keeping up what is ours or giving our used possessions to the less fortunate are a couple of ways to be prudent stewards of our blessings from God. I'm Jeremy Belsky, your host for Spirit of Stewardship. To learn how you can better share your talents and resources, contact your local parish priest. Your level of involvement in the church now positively impacts our faith in the future. Nice piano riffs. This is Dr. A. Thank you so much for joining me. i got a couple things I want to announce here. got some, some congratulations in order. Go down here. To, let's see who this is, the Carolina Catholic Media, 1270 a.m., serving Greater Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, celebrating four years this week. Congratulations to David Papandrea and his great team. Congratulations, guys. Four years. By the way, Charlotte's always got a special place in my heart because for many years when we went to Myrtle Beach as a family, we go right by there on 77 and look at the big skyline of Charlotte. Beautiful, beautiful down there. What's the name of that river? Or not river, that uh, that beautiful lake. Lake Char- is it not Lake? Is it Lake Charles in Charlotte right before you come into Charlotte, about 30 miles out or something like that? Nice. Very beautiful. And then we knew when we hit Charlotte, we were... We were getting much closer to Myrtle Beach, much closer to peace. 877-573-7825 is the number to call to get onto the program. Plenty of time left. We'll get to you in one second there. Just want to make a, a final comment. I routinely ask parents who believe their child is, by nature, uh, more testy, more challenging what does the school say under age 10 well over 50 percent of the time 
I hear that the school doesn't see any of this. Matter of fact, the school thinks the child is a delight. Teacher loves the child, no problem. How do they account for this? Teacher doesn't have doesn't have a fraction of the authority of a parent. Not at all. A teacher is handling 18, 20 kids. Parent handles one, two, three, four, or maybe a little more. How do they account for that? And it's in the dynamic. It's in the interaction. Because the kid in school perceives, perceives that the teacher has the authority. Even though the, the teacher doesn't, doesn't have a fraction of a parent's authority, realistically speaking, the teacher doesn't have leverage. The teacher can do very few things, right? So given that, uh, it really does come down to perception. And uh, if little Sarah, 8-year-old Sarah, sees mom and dad as, uh, yeah, I can push on them. I can drag them into arguments or I can test them or I can refuse their discipline and things will get ugly real quick. They will. Not because they're nasty, evil little creatures, but because they're kids. They want to do what they want to do. That's kids. All right, he's still screening that one. That's, that's, that's interesting. Wow. All right. Marine from New Mexico. Hi, Marine. Yes. Hi, Ray. Um, I have a different perspective than you shared about the ideology of uh, lesbians developing that preference, that mm-hmm. lifestyle. Uh, I'm also a psychologist, and I have a buddy who's a psychologist who worked primarily in substance abuse with women. And what her observation was, uh, was that the women had very hostile relationships not with men, but with their mothers. And that it almost seemed to be uh, when they would describe their different sexual practices that they were trying to make up for lost uh, skin contact time. Skin contact meaning young, infant, uh, affection? Yeah, Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Would they would they say that this is one contributor, or would they say that it's the major contributor? She observed it in uh, specifically women who were using cocaine and heroin. That it was mm. a common denominator. So I don't know if that substance abuse is the contributing factor i don't know well let's 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 throw some correlative data here marine if okay. if in fact these young ladies had a a blistering relationship with mom not a good one and yep. you could probably assume so in the fact that they were into drugs alcohol self-destructive behavior which would indicate for whatever the reason that they were either raised poorly or they yielded to temptation, even though they were raised reasonably well, would it not be the the whole ugly picture of their development as opposed to just simply saying, well, really didn't have a whole lot of physical connection with my mom, 
Could it not be also that, uh, oh, man, we just had an ugly relationship and I did a whole bunch of things uh, searching for happiness, drugs, whatever, uh, and I, I landed on same-sex attraction? Well, I think that there's a disconnect that occurs uh, before memory even develops and uh, narrative memory. And when... Uh, that disconnect is played out in the subsequent developmental periods. Interesting. So, because these same kids were rebellious, you know, kids, they did not do well in school. They had trouble with the law. So, I think it's a whole uh, continuum. I, I'm agreeing with you on that. I think it is, uh, in many respects, it's a history that was unhappy, unpleasant, and and because of that, there definitely is some confusing confusion regarding regarding gender. Yeah, do you see that as a shrink? Yeah, okay. yeah. But I, I was in the prison system with men, so I I saw a lot more interesting things. Oh man, I am sure I'd love to <laughs> love to pick your brain. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, I'll send you the transcript for the book I'm considering writing about. All right. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It would be fascinating to see the insights of a psychologist who who worked in the prison system and how the how the guys got that way and how they now have uh, turned uh, in a different direction if they have. Right. Oh, my. Are you still doing it? And also a Catholic psych. No, no, I'm retired. But I'm a Catholic psychologist. So, would and, you, and I, Marine, would, would you, like, would you say that the guys respected that? Oh, absolutely. Be, but I also have considerable presence, and so I don't tolerate bad behavior. I just don't tolerate it. You're, a, you're one tough um, psychologist, have, huh? Well, uh, oh, yeah, you, well, hey, tender side too. Ma- Maureen, you didn't have tattoos over the Rorschach ink blots all over you, did you? I didn't what? You didn't have tattoos of the Rorschach ink blots all over you. No, 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 no. <laughs> so you didn't <laughs> even have... an idea, though. <laughs> you didn't even have to bring the cards in with you. Say, look, here, look at my arm. What's this look like to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, bless you. Thank you for the call, Maureen. Okay. All right, yep, bye. No problem. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Dr. Ray. I appreciate the company. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. There was a big story about this Catholic college saying, oh, we are going to open our doors to anyone who identifies as a woman. So a male student coming in, but if he calls himself a woman, that's fine. This is all about diversity and equality. This is a Catholic women's college. And so, thanks be to God, there was a lot of pushback. And guess what? The school rescinded. How important it is not to give up and to remember that we can and should respectfully, always with love, express our concerns. It doesn't matter. The victory is up to God. 
But sometimes we do see that success in the victories, as is the case with St. Mary's College, who says now it needs to go back to its roots and get a deeper understanding of what it means to be a Catholic college for women. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Dr. Zinn, a co-production of the EWGN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications with my compadres there in Ann Arbor, Andrew Kruchek, producer man, board operator, and Eric Dumont, first line call screamer. That's who you get when you call in. Uh, Maria. I just talked to a girl named, wait a minute, is that Maria? Yeah, Maria. From Denver, Colorado. Hi, Maria. Hi. Well, this son of Yorn, how'd you find out about this? I found out a year ago. I I, uh, oh. Oh. I found him under his mattress. He would hide him under his mattress. Oh, so he was 14 when he started to vape. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and now he's, at first, like, he would just do it, like, at school. Now he he just does it all the time in his room. And I already told, we've told him, like, you know what, we don't allow drugs in our house. And he's ran away a couple of times oh. for the same reason. Oh, he's so like, well, he's... then if you guys are not, are not going to let me vape, um, um, I'm leaving the house. I'm okay. That's fine with me. Where did he go okay. when he ran away? With friends. Oh, friends. And obviously the the parents knew he was there, right? I guess. <laughs> How long did he stay away? One day. One day. It sounds, Maria, like the vaping is only part of the picture. The bigger picture is he's becoming more defiant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, he's getting more, more. I think he. Well, he's. I. I'm. I tell him you're getting more addicted to it, and he's like, "No, it's not addicted. It's pendant. It's tendency." Mm-hmm. So, because he you says ma- are, he needs are, it. Are you married? Him, uh, yeah. Are you married? And what does your husband think? Well, at first, my husband was like, "Well." It's normal. Like he's at that age, at that teenage, that like we all did it. I did it. Like he needs, he needs to experience stuff and try stuff. And I'm like, no. Like I, I never tried no drugs, no nothing in my life. Like, no. Your husband still? Is your husband still think that way? Um, and sometimes. <laughs> so there's a there's a a clash between you and your husband regarding what to do about your son. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I would suggest this, uh, because I know I've only got about a couple of minutes here. 
I would say that if you can find a good psychologist in the Denver area, not for your son, but for you, to develop some approaches on how to try to turn this around. Um, he's bringing it into the house, obviously. He's getting it from his friends, getting it at school. I would guess, now I know what you're going to ask. answer to this. I can say it maybe with 90% certainty. Uh, he has a smartphone, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. So it's okay for him to have a smartphone if he continues to vape in your house? No, and I've tried taking it away and taking his door off, and he gets so, last time I tried to take his door off from his room, he got so aggress- aggressive, he was punching the wall. Mm-hmm. I had to call the police. I mean, yeah, Marie, I think this is a bigger problem than just vaping. It's a situation where it sounds like your son is getting more and more out of control. And yeah. I would hope that your husband would come around and say, we got to present a united front on this before it becomes even more serious than it is. So I, you can do, do one of two things. And you've said you've already called the cops, so that means it must get pretty pretty serious. Um, <clears throat> I think the vaping might be the least of your problems. Right now, I, I have to I wonder what your son is doing when he's outside of your sight. So I would suggest you get a hold of a counselor for yourself to say, I need to, I need to find ways to bring this boy back under control. Hopefully your husband will go with you. If he doesn't, here's what I typically see, Maria, is that when you have a parent who says, ah, come on, that's just kids. That's what they do. We did that. Come on. He's going to pull out of it. Uh, maybe, but the odds aren't likely. And typically yeah. what then happens is that it gets so ugly that the more permissive parent has to say, okay, now I better start thinking about this like my spouse is thinking about this. That's kind of the direction it goes. Yeah, and that's frustrating because sometimes like, I don't have his support. And it's yeah, like, wow. and that's, that is a big issue. It makes it very, very hard for you because your son's going to look at you like you're the wicked witch of the West, yeah. and Dad mm-hmm. understands and you don't. And if yeah, you attempt to do, me. well, if you do any kind of limits, I think you need to really sit down with your husband and say, you know what you're doing? You're throwing me under the bus here. And our son is getting progressively more out of control. And this is, this is not, um, this is not benign stuff. This isn't just, oh, a little bit of adolescent rebellion. Uh, tell you, he's putting, putting holes in your wall and you've had to call the cops and he runs away. Maybe you ought to. Maybe you, you got to get some good guidance on this. Maybe even, even call uh, juvenile authorities and see what they might suggest. It's Doctor Ray. Thanks so much for joining me, everybody. And those of you on the line, please call back. You shall be first. The last shall be first. Trying to do a little scriptural stuff here. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I wanted to talk about something I didn't get a chance to. Well, I'll talk about it in, in the future. This is Dr. Ray. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook and Instagram. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.